0: Hi everyone! My name is Leanne Kim and I'm a third year medical student at McMaster University. Welcome back to another podcast in the Learn Oncology Basics of Oncology series, a series meant to introduce healthcare learners and healthcare professionals to the basics of oncology. It is one of many resources on learnoncology.ca, a free educational platform created and maintained by Drs. Paris and Ingledew, is a radiation oncologist at BC Cancer Agency. Today we'll discuss febrile neutropenia, which is one of the oncological emergencies that must be recognized and treated promptly. I hope you'll find this topic helpful when you're on the word. Special thank you to Dr. Megan Tesh and Dr. Sean Edison, who are Medical Oncology fellows at UBC, and Dr. Ingledew for supervising and editing the production of the podcast script. And I would also like to thank Chloe Lim, a medical student at UBC, and Conley Crickler, a medical student at University of Saskatchewan, for their support with editing of this podcast. Here are the guiding questions for today. 1. What is the definition of febrile neutropenia and why is it important to know? 2. Who is at risk for developing febrile neutropenia? 3. Why does febrile neutropenia develop? 4. How should you approach history taking and physical examination of a patient with febrile neutropenia? Five, what investigation should be ordered for workup of a patient with febrile neutropenia? 6. Are there any risk stratifying tools for febrile neutropenia? 7. How do you treat febrile neutropenia? Use section The Case. Let's start with the relevant case. You're a fourth year medical student working in the emergency department. Mr. Matheson is a 55-year-old male with a non-Hodgkin's lymphoma who was started on chemotherapy 7 days ago. He presents to the emergency department from home with a sudden onset of fever of 38.5 degrees. He's hemodynamically stable otherwise. He's CBC from his stat blood where it comes back and you notice that his absolute neutrophil count where his ANC is 0.4. What should you do? New section. What is the definition of febrile neutropenia and why is it important for you to know? The definition of febrile neutropenia is actually very specific. A patient is diagnosed with febrile neutropenia if 1. Their temperature is higher than 38.3 degrees or higher than 38 degrees for more than one hour. 2. The ANC, which is a measure of neutrophil granulocytes in the blood, is less than 0.5 or is expected to decrease below 0.5 in the next 48 hours. Notice that for both fever and neutrophil count, it sometimes comes down to what you predict the temperature and neutrophil count will be in the next few hours. Therefore, it is really important to monitor frequently when you suspect febrile neutropenia to ensure that you begin treatment as soon as you make the diagnosis. In patients with malignancy on active chemotherapy treatment who present with fever, febrile neutropenia should always be on near differential as the mortality is quite high. Studies report mortality of 5% in those with hematological malignancies. However, this number can actually go up as high as 50% if there is evidence of gram-negative bacteremia or septic shock. In other words, the earlier you recognize, the earlier you can give antibiotics, and the better the outcome will be. Time is of the essence. New section. Who is at risk for developing febrile neutropenia? Patients with hematological malignancy are more likely to develop febrile neutropenia. In fact, 80% of patients with febrile neutropenia have underlying hematological malignancy and only 10-15% to have a solid malignancy. Age over 65, female sex, obesity, and poor nutritional status as well as comorbidities such as COPD, diabetes, and renal impairment are some of the known risk factors. New section. What factors contribute to the development of febrile neutropenia? First, remember the myelosuppressive toxicity of chemotherapy. Chemotherapy induces an immunocompromised state due to its myelosuppressive toxicity on the bone marrow. This results in compromised innate and adaptive immunity. Secondly, consider gut epithelial toxicity from chemotherapy. In a normal gut, the antimicrobial peptides, lymphatic tissue like Peyer's patches, and first responders like dendritic cells prevent the entry and reaction to normal gut flora. In patients who are on chemotherapy, they may have damaged gut epithelium from chemotherapy, which may make the patient susceptible to attack from their own gut flora. Finally, consider the breach of the skin for IV access. Patients receiving chemotherapy often have indwelling IV sites which allows entry of skin microflora as well. In summary, the normal microbiome that is otherwise benign can become dangerous for patients who are severely immunocompromised. New section, how should you approach history taking and physical examination of a patient with febrile neutropenia? Before we begin, I just wanted to highlight an important learning point. Patients with febrile neutropenia may not necessarily present with the signs or symptoms corresponding to the site of infection. In fact, the source of infection is only identified in 20 to 30% of patients. Therefore, it is crucial to keep your differential wide. and Remember that the fever may as well be the only sign of infection. Now let's talk about history taking. First, you should find more about what type of cancer the patient has. Know the tumor characteristics, staging, lymph node involvement, distant metastases, recent radiographic evaluations, histopathology and molecular markers, previous treatments, and future treatment plans. Find out if the patient has ever had fibroneutropenia, fungal infections, or other oncological complications. Second, understand the type and timing of the chemotherapy. Using this information, determine if you expect the ANC to drop or recover. Typically, the ANC is lowest on day 7 of chemotherapy. Then, as with any patient, ask about their past medical history and surgical history to determine possible comorbid conditions that might put them at higher risk. COPD, diabetes, cardiovascular diseases such as heart failure, cardiomyopathy, arrhythmias, vascular disease are some of the more well-established comorbidities that increase the risk for poor outcome. Medications are very important too. Check if the patient is on any other immunosuppressive medications or steroids. Ask about their recent antibiotic use or any antimicrobial prophylaxis. On social history, ask about their exposure to latent infections based on traveling, immigration, blood transfusions, or sick contacts. A workout for latent infections, including TB and Hep B, may have been already performed prior to the initiation of chemotherapy, and they might be available in the EMR. In the EMR, you may also be able to find prior colonization of MRSA, extended-spectrum beta-lactamase-producing bacteria, VRE, or carbapenemase-producing organisms. Of course, last but not the least, you should try to identify the source of infection on your review systems. So ask about coughs, sore throat, stomach aches, and diarrhea. In terms of your physical examination, start with the vitals as always. Assess the QSOFA score, which consists of GCS less than 15, systolic blood pressure less than 100, respiratory rate over 22. If the patient has two or more scores, you're more likely to suspect sepsis or even septic shock. In this case, you should involve your senior residents or staff early on in your encounter for further management. If you feel that the patient is hemodynamically stable, proceed with systemic head-to-toe examination of the patient with special attention to inflammatory signs per organ system. Assess the oral mucosa, sinuses, and the lower respiratory tract. Check for air entry and adventitious sounds. Examine each vascular access site for erythema, edema, color changes, and purulence. Perform a thorough abdominal exam and assess for pain, guarding, distension, rebound tenderness, and other peritoneal signs. Remember, DRE is contraindicated as you might introduce microorganisms on already damaged mucosa. Do not do DRE, however, if your patient has symptoms, you can safely attempt a perianal exam. Lastly, do a full skin exam to look for signs of soft tissue infection. Assess every joint. Essentially, it is a normal review of systems, but two extra things need to be thought about as common sources of infection, one, mucositis, two, permanent IV sites like ports and lines. These are things that cancer patients have much more frequently than your average patient with a fever. The key to history taking and physical exam here is that you have to be very quick. The IDSA guidelines recommend that relevant items on history and physical exam that can affect antimicrobial choice are assessed within 15 minutes of presentation. This can allow us to start empirical antibiotics within one hour triage, also known as the golden hour, or as soon as the blood cultures are drawn. New section. What investigations should be ordered for the workup of a patient with febrile neutropenia? Your initial labs can include CBC, electrolytes, creatinine, and BUN, liver enzymes, total bilirubin, blood cultures from all vascular exocytes, your analysis and urine culture. Based on your clinical exam, you can do chest x-ray, CT chest, wound cultures, lumbar puncture, nasopharyngeal swab, and abdominal imaging such as ultrasound or CT. New section. Are there any risk stratifying tools for neutropenia? Multinational Association of Supportive Care in Cancer, MASCC, score can be really helpful with risk stratification. MASCC score consists of the following criteria. Burden of illness, hypotension defined by systolic blood pressure less than 90, active COPD, type of cancer, prior fungal infection, dehydration status, care setting at the time of onset of fever, and age over 60. The scoring can be counterintuitive. A high score predicts better outcomes and these patients may be candidates for outpatient management versus if the score is less than 21, the patient is at higher risk for complications and will typically require inpatient management. This MASCC score is available online and on many apps. New section, how do you treat febrile neutropenia? If the patient is hemodynamically stable, you should start with timely administration of antibiotics. As mentioned earlier, empiric antibiotics should be given as soon as the blood cultures are drawn. Source localization should never delay the treatment. Now the question is about whether we should treat the patient on an inpatient or outpatient basis. There's a strict set of criteria that help us best select for candidates suitable for outpatient therapy. The patient must have all of the following. MASCC over 21, neutropenia that is anticipated to recover in less than seven days, clinically and hemodynamically stable status without dehydration, and absence of uncontrolled comorbidities. In practice, many emergency departments have their institution-specific guidelines around managing febrile neutropenia. We highly recommend you to check those out prior to your rotation on oncology or hematology. If you decide to treat the patient on an outpatient basis, you can start them on amoxicillin clavulinate 500mg over 125mg POBID or ciprofloxacin 750mg POBID, which provides additional coverage for pseudomonas. If the patient has penicillin hypersensitivity, you can offer levofloxacin 750mg PO daily. If the patient had been already on fluoroquinolone-based antimicrobial prophylaxis, they should be considered fluoroquinolone-resistant, and therefore IV antibiotic with pseudomonas coverage should be given. Following the initial dose of antibiotics, the patient should be under at least four hours of observation to ensure that there is no clinical deterioration or intolerance to oral therapy. The IDSA guidelines recommend that the patient's psychosocial conditions are considered for discharge planning. For instance, the patients should be able to reach the hospital within an hour, have family members at home, and have access to telephone communication and transportation 24 hours a day. Their oncologist or primary care provider should agree to the plan and there should be no history of previous non-adherence to medical appointments and treatment protocols. They should also have the resources at their disposal to attend frequent follow-up appointments. If all of these criteria are met and you expect that the patient's clinical course will improve, the patient can be discharged. Before the discharge, they should be fully educated about reasons to return to the hospital and they should follow up with their primary care provider or their oncologist in 2-3 to days. Their antibiotics should be narrowed according to the culture sensitivity and the antibiotics should be continued until ANC is above 0.5 and until the standard duration of the therapy for identified source has been achieved. Now, if the patient is thought to be high risk, they should be admitted to the hospital and be given one of the following IV regimens: tazosin 4.5 grams IV q6 to 8 hours, or meropenem 1 gram IV q8 hours, or imipenem 500 milligram IV q6 hours, if known to be ESBL colonizer. Vancomycin is not recommended for all patients, but it should be added if the patient is 1. hemodynamically unstable, 2. has evidence of skin or soft tissue infection, pneumonia, or catheter-related infection to cover for MRSA. As with any treatment of infection, please note that this is just a general recommendation. Make sure to familiarize yourself with the regional antibiotic resistance and consult the institutional antibiogram to choose the most optimal antibiotic regimen. If the fever persists after 4 days, you can consider adding an antifungal agent. In patients who had not been on antifungal prophylaxis, candida is the most likely fungal cause. You can try echinocandin in this case. If they had been on fluconazole prophylaxis aspergillus and fluconazole resistant candida are likely which can be treated with voriconazole here are some common questions asked about management of femoral neutropenia here's the first question should you always remove the central line answer is it really depends on the timing of growth from the central line if the culture from the central line grows two hours earlier than other lines can be more confident that the central line is indeed the source. In that case, it should be removed unless the culture grows coagulase-negative staph. Here's a second question. Is there any way to augment myeloid reconstitution? What is the evidence behind granulocyte colony stimulating factors during an acute episode of fibroneutrophenia? This is a controversial topic, and the American Society of Clinical Oncology guidelines state that it can be considered in patients with fever and neutropenia who are at high risk for infection-associated complications or who have prognostic factors predictive of poor clinical outcomes. GCSF was not shown to improve overall or or infection-related mortality, but did shorten the duration of neutropenia, hospitalization, etc so it is sometimes used in certain patients. Consult an oncologist at your institution. Yeah. That was quite a bit of information. Let's summarize. Early recognition and antibiotic therapy within one hour is key to success. There is a specific set of criteria for risk stratification. For outpatient management, you can try ciprofloxacin with amoxclav. Make sure that the patient is not fluoroquinolone resistant. If the patient is a candidate for inpatient management, you can try IV tasacin, or Imipenem. Add IV vancomycin if there is hemodynamic instability or evidence of skin and soft tissue infection or pneumonia or catheter related infection. If the fever does not resolve by day 4, add an antifungal and consult infectious disease. In clinical practice, there might be other reasons for unresolving fever, such as drug reaction, malignancy-related complications, and pulmonary embolism, to name a few. Going back to the case, Mr. Matheson was diagnosed with febrile neutropenia as he had a fever of 38.5 degrees and ANC of 0.4. He's hemodynamically stable, though he's oriented person and place only. His history and physical exam did not reveal the source of infection. While looking at his chart, you learned that he has uncontrolled diabetes, non-ischemic cardiomyopathy, and moderate COPD. On collateral history, you also learned that he lived two hours away from the hospital with no access to immediate transportation. His MASCC score was 20 points. You and your team admitted Mr. Matheson and started him on iv tazocin in a monitor setting. You notified his primary care physician and his multidisciplinary oncology team. His fever resolved in 24 hours and his ANC has been stable. And that's it. Before you go about your day, let's review the main points. Number one, the definition of febrile neutropenia is very specific. The temperature should be higher than 38.3 degrees or higher than 38 degrees for more than one hour. The ANC should be less than 0.5 or should be expected to decrease below 0.5 in the next 48 hours. Number two, patients with hematological malignancy are more likely to develop febrile neutropenia. Make sure to know the timeline of their chemotherapy. The lowest ANC is usually seen on day seven. Number three, the source of infection is only identified in 20 to 30% of patients. Keep your differential wide and initiate your empirical antibiotic therapy as soon as you make the diagnosis and draw the bullet cultures. Time is of the essence. Number 4. There is a specific set of criteria and prognostic scoring systems such as MASCC that can help us determine the setting of care. Always consider the patient's psychosocial status and their resources to ensure their safety when making this decision. Great job in following along. That's it for today's podcast. Thanks for listening and we hope you learned something. If you like this topic, please visit learnoncology.ca to access other oncology learning modules, videos, practice cases, and try your hand at some quizzes. Learn Oncology can also be found on Twitter and Instagram at learnoncologyca where you can find more oncology cases and content.